The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health and agriculture, and find food truth. And today I am delighted to bring to you Lindsay Lusher-Shute. She is the director of the National Young Farmers Coalition, and she is the lead author of a brand new report that we all need to be familiar with. It's called Building a Future with Farmers, Challenges Faced by Young American Farmers, and a National Strategy to Help Them Succeed. Lindsay, welcome. Thanks, Melinda. Thanks for having us on. You know, I'm really interested in this, Lindsay, because I like to eat. And in order for me to get the food that I recommend to my patients and my clients, I need to have relationships with farmers and know that they are set to produce the kind of food that I think is fit to eat to prevent chronic disease. We know that the age of our average farmer is creeping up towards retirement age. They're getting older. I think 57 was the age I last saw. We need young farmers to come to the rescue. Thank you so much for doing that. You are a a young farmer yourself. Tell me something. What have you learned in this work with the National Young Farmers Coalition? Why is there this increased interest to get back to the land? That's a great question, and I would say that although we don't have solid numbers nationwide as to the number of young people that are returning to their roots of several generations ago where they might have had a grandparent as a farmer, we don't have national numbers yet because we're waiting on the next agricultural census, but anecdotally we know that you're exactly right. There are lots of young people that are returning to farming and looking to farming as a really independent career where they, unlike many of their peers, sitting at a desk all day, they're actually out in the fields and in the sunshine and and working hard and feeling like they're doing something real. And that, you know, just the lifestyle of farming along with the movement that we've seen, uh, you know, that you're part of, the good food movement, people really looking at the food system and wanting to make change Getting into farming is, for many people, like working at a nonprofit organization. They feel like it's a way that they can be giving back uh, to their communities. And, you know, food is such a wonderful thing because you're actually able to hand someone, you know, a very quality product and see it enhance the health of that individual and their families and, and your entire community. So, you know, people are really beginning to understand the value of farming, and there are so many apprenticeship programs and new farms that are doing direct marketing now at farmer's markets that it's a much more accessible career as well. So it's sort of snowballing. You know, you have a couple people who, you know, may have been doing this 30 years ago, and now ever since then it's, the movement has just been growing and growing. And to this point today where we see so many young people interested in I think it's interesting, Lindsay. You surveyed a 1,000 young farmers from across the country, and 78% of them were not raised on a farm, which really gets to your response about, you know, what is drawing us to the land? I almost feel like it's Mother Nature's way of helping us survive 
because I look at the food that you produce, that organic farmers in particular produce because of the benefits to the land and the water and the air and the food quality, but I see high-quality food as truly preventive medicine. And so it's in all of our vested interest to make sure that, A, young farmers can access land, that, B, they can be successful, and, C, that we have the the policies in place to support you throughout your life. So you asked the young farmers in this survey, what were the major obstacles in becoming a beginning farmer? And you named capital, land, and health care. Let's start with capital. What were some of the stories young farmers told you? All of these things are interrelated. And, you know, we actually asked people separately about capital and credit. And both of those things were, were major concerns of young and beginning farmers. And health care, the cost of health care and the cost of land play right into that. So, you know, if you can't afford land, that's a challenge for someone wanting to farm. Same thing with health care. Health care costs are so high, and if you're not making enough money farming, then you can't afford it. So right. all of this often comes down to the need for capital to, to start a farm just to have enough money to you know, buy some hand tools or a tractor or whatever people need for their operation, depending on the scale. That came up as a big challenge. And some of the stories that we've heard, I mean, some of the things have been challenges where farmers are starting and just wondering how on earth I have student loans, I, I don't have health insurance right now, how could I possibly get started in a farming career with just so little savings and especially, you know, even if they've been an apprentice, they may have been making an hourly wage that really hasn't enabled them to save much money. So the challenge of just getting started in that first year, how do you go about doing that, um, which is why actually community-supported agriculture where farmers are given payment up front for, for the food that they'll be growing for their members is very, very helpful for beginning farmers because mm-hmm. it provides that capital that is necessary in the very beginning of the season for seeds and tools and all that stuff. So you have the beginners that are struggling with capital and then people a little bit further into their career where they may have figured out how to get started and they've started to build their business, but then they're looking at scaling up. And so they want to buy land or they need equipment or whatever it might be, and they haven't been able to access loans to actually be able to make those purchases. Yeah, and land prices seem to be going up astronomically. So it's almost like many farmers, it seems, get into it by leasing land, and then they end up being landless farmers. Are there any policies or any ways that we can help farmers, young farmers, get access to land? Absolutely. The land access question is very regional. And in some areas of the Midwest, the problems with land access are very different than what we are experiencing here in the Northeast. But one of the things that we have been working on as a policy solution with the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition is a modification to what's called the Farm and Ranch Land Protection Program. And this program is what provides a matched funding, 50% of funding, for the purchase of development rights on farms. So outside of metropolitan areas where there are land trusts that are actively trying to buy development rights and prevent farms from becoming housing developments or strip malls or whatever it might be, 
in those cases, what the Farm Ranch Land Protection Program does is it'll fund 50% of the cost of those development rights. And of course, this land around metropolitan areas is very, very valuable for farming, of course, because you have this hungry population in the city center. And if you're within 50, 100 miles, it's actually doable for a farmer to drive in to the city and do farmer's markets or whatnot. What we've proposed is that this program give new priority to easements, which is basically what the land trust will hold after it purchases the development rights. It gives new priority for that the federal grant money for easements that include affordability protections and succession plans. So right now, the money is awarded on various environmental characteristics of the land, and we believe that federal money going to these easements to protect farmland should also be protecting who's owning the farmland to some degree. There at least should be priority for that. And so in the Vermont Land Trust and in Massachusetts, they have these really innovative programs where many of the easements actually, like affordable housing, also protect the affordability of the land over the long term. So once a farmer decides that he or she wants to sell a piece of property, she has to sell the property to another farmer, which Mm -hmm. sort of restricts the value of the land. Sell it to a farmer as opposed to, you know, someone who wants to live there more sort of as an estate. Right. Um, And so that has proven to be very, very helpful in those settings. So that's something that we would like to see nationwide, and the Farm and Ranch Land Protection Program is sort of the mechanism that we're trying to use to make that happen. And that is something that we're pushing for in the 2012 Farm Bill. Oh, that's terrific. You've got a section of this report that talks about what are some of the most valuable programs for young and beginning farmers. And you've identified the community-supported agriculture, the land-linking programs, and that's what you've been talking about just now. Is that correct? Or is that different? Well, what I was referring to, it's a federal funding program that goes to protect farmland specifically and prevent farmland from being developed. And we want that money to be going to projects that prioritize affordability on those parcels. So it will basically be an effort with partnership with the land trust community to make more farmland across the United States affordable for full-time farmers, which is often not the case right now. Land linking programs are a little bit different. What they do is they are often run by nonprofit organization, many of which are now funded by the Beginning Farm and Rancher Development Program, which is another federal program. And they link young and beginning farmers with retiring farmers or what's called an absentee farmer sometimes, someone who has purchased a farm because they like living on a farm, but they're not a farmer themselves. And so it links folks who have land and people who want land. That is so important. I know several older farmers who don't have children themselves, and they're getting to the age where they really can't farm anymore, and they don't want to see their farm go to a subdivision. They want to pass it on to a young person, and that's where I see these land-linking programs is so valuable to everyone. The young farmer, the farmer who loves that piece of property that doesn't want to see it go to waste, all of that work and love that he's put into it, and then ultimately the eaters. I don't know if you've seen a film. It was actually done in Maine. It's called Knee Deep, and it described a farm that was turned into a subdivision, and the loss was so, it was palpable. 
you realize, gosh, we lost the beauty of the farm. We lost the food that the farm gave. And what do you get? You get a subdivision with covenants that say, you know, no farm animals or strange things that really remove us from the life-giving properties of the land. So it was really a tragic film, but it described exactly why it is so important to preserve farmland and what kind of programs can we institute to make sure that those farmlands are indeed preserved. Let's talk to a little bit about the Farm Bill, because there are probably pieces of the Farm Bill that can help young farmers that we as citizens and eaters want to contact our representatives and say, please support X, Y, and Z. Which components of the Farm Bill do you think are most important for young farmers? There are many parts of the Farm Bill that indirectly help young and beginning farmers, and even some of the the nutrition programs could potentially help young and beginning farmers. But Mm -hmm. the ones that we focus on, it's a very, very small piece of the pie, Mm -hmm. and that includes funding for conservation through the Environmental Quality Incentives Program. This program gives funding for conservation structures on farmland. And so for a young and beginning farmer who has difficulty or is having trouble raising capital for their farm, this program can often be very, very helpful because it will pay for certain structures such as high tunnels that farmers can use for season extension and make their farm a little bit more profitable. Another program that's very, very helpful that, as you mentioned, the land linking programs is called the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Development Program. And this program is was authorized in the 2008 Farm Bill, and it actually gives funding for training of young and beginning farmers all across the United States. And it it funds conferences, it funds a really wonderful journeyman program through the Northeast Organic Farming Associations, and that has been really instrumental in getting more young people interested in farming and helping them develop business plans as well. Another part of the Farm Bill that we've been focusing on is the credit part and through the Farm Service Agency. There are some rules currently in the farm loan programs that make it pretty difficult for a beginner to access federal credit programs. So we're advocating for some changes, one of which is, you know, just Right now, to to get a farm ownership loan from the Farm Service Agency, you actually have to have been an owner-operator of a farm for three years. Hmm. So there's this sort of weird period where you you need land to start a farm, but you can't get a loan to start a farm, but you need to have owned a farm for three years. It's called a catch-22. To be able to qualify for a loan. So we're trying to at least make that requirement a little bit less to two years. The other thing that we've been advocating for is a new microcredit program for young and beginning farmers, and that would also be through the Farm Service Agency, so we could get beginning farmers little bits of chunks of money, you know, $10,000, $20,000, which, you know, is, is a significant amount of money, but in terms of, you know, farm loans, it's not very much. Make it easier for regional, local FSA agents to be able to make those loans to young people through a new microcredit program. Right now, it's it's a ton of paperwork for agents to do small loans, and so this would make it much more streamlined and easy for them to get that money into to new farm entrepreneurs' hands. And for any young farmer listening, I'm 
thinking that they can get more information from your website, youngfarmers.org. Is that correct? Yes, exactly. So we've been working with the uh, National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition on the Beginning Farmer and Rancher Opportunity Act of 2011, and that takes the little bits and pieces that I was just talking about, all these modifications to the 2008 Farm Bill, and and it puts them together. And so that is the package of changes that we are advocating for Great. In the next farm bill. And yes, we have lots of information about that on our on our website. Wonderful. Now if you're just joining us, we are speaking with Lindsay Schutt. She is the director of the National Young Farmers Coalition. And they are based in New York State. However, their new publication, which is a compilation of one thousand survey respondents, is titled Building a Future with Farmers, Challenges Faced by Young American Farmers and a National Strategy to Help Them Succeed. And I would say that our health depends on helping young farmers succeed. I cannot think of a more admirable profession to enter. I was reading about how so much of our food is being imported from overseas, and I see the ability for us to produce our own food on our own land as being a part of homeland security. And the only way that I think we can become both more healthy as a population and more secure as a nation is to support young farmers who want so much to farm, and yet we've got these institutional barriers set up. So We all need to come together. This is a serious, serious topic. I want to talk, Lindsay, about health care because it is something that I see as being a tremendous obstacle. And and many young people believe that they're healthy, they're strong, they're fine, and then, oops, something happens. And as I was mentioning before the call, the April 2012 issue of Pediatrics actually has a new study called uh, The Incidence and Cost of Injury Among Youth in Agricultural Settings. So we know that farm workers are at higher risk for injury. It's a dangerous occupation. We know that healthcare is expensive. Is there any discussion about having some sort of pooling of farmers so that healthcare access can be more affordable? That is a question that we often get at the Young Farmers Coalition, and it's something at some point I think that as an organization we would certainly like to look into what we have done on our own farm to provide health care for our own employees, which we think is an extremely valuable and necessary thing for our farm to offer. Um, we participate in a program that's offered in New York State called Healthy New York that does exactly that for small businesses across the State, and it basically enables us to get a reduced cost health care for our employees. And it's definitely expensive. We pay 50% of our employees' health care, but it makes all the difference in their ability to work at our farm. You're absolutely right. I mean, farming is, is one of the most dangerous careers, actually. You know, um, at any age, farmers, unfortunately, do get into many, many accidents on the job. So one accident like that for one of our workers would be really tragic, especially if they didn't have health care. So we find this is one of our primary responsibilities as as employers of of young people. Mm -hmm. And the other point, too, is that young people are in childbearing years. So we need to have health care access so that people can have their children and raise them and 
provide all the preventive services that they need to stay healthy and strong. So I see it both as a personal protection, and thank you, by the way, for providing health care for your employees, but I see it as both a protection for the farmer themselves as well as their ability to have children and not have to worry about the costs of all the other things on the table as well as providing health care. Yes, absolutely. My husband and I have a two-month-old daughter. <laughs> Congratulations. We understand the, the health care costs of, of having a child. It's it's pretty pretty significant in addition to just having a kid and, um, it, and all the costs that that entails. Yeah. So, it, yes, I mean, we, we couldn't agree more. And there really needs to be more opportunities for farmers in particular to be able to purchase health care for themselves. We have an operation with 10 employees. So healthcare would be a little bit more affordable, perhaps, for us, you know, if we were just buying it on our own for us and our employees, because we do have that many people. But some people just buying it just for their family is even more expensive. So there really do need to be more opportunities for farmers to be able to purchase affordable healthcare. Right. One of the things, actually, with the Obama healthcare legislation that will actually be helpful, I think, to many young farmers is just the ability for those farmers who are really just starting out and they're perhaps in their early 20s to be able to stay on their parents' health care longer. Because I remember one of the things that was a a big challenge for me and why I, you know, skipped over a lot of, you know, internship programs and so on when I was in my 20s was because I didn't have health (laughs) care. I didn't have health insurance. So I needed to maintain a job that would give me coverage. Right. So, you know, the ability for young people to be able to stay on, on their parents' coverage, assuming that they have that, will enable them to do more apprenticeship programs, that most of which do not offer any health care coverage at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it seems like we are in a situation where we have individual states having different plans for people. And again, that that desire to stay on your parents' health insurance. I know this is the case for several young farmers that I know. And then the big question is, well, what are you going to do after that? Right. And then there's the situation where, at least in the farmers I've interviewed, where the one of the farm family members works off the farm and really compromises the effectiveness of that farm working, you know, the, the efficiencies of that farm when one person has to leave to work to get health insurance. There's that constraint. And I also think that sometimes when one of the farmers has to leave the farm, that some of those promises of easy farming techniques like chemicals become more desirable. That's just one of my background thoughts about how this lack of access to health care really affects our whole farming system on so many levels. So I think we need to be very cognizant that this is a very important piece of getting young people on farms and good food on more of our plates. I want to give you the opportunity, Lindsay, to talk about or bring out some components of this report that I may not have touched on. One of the things that I I think is actually really interesting about this report that hasn't really been brought out um, by previous research is sort of how the educational landscape of farming has changed in the United States. Previous to now, I would say within the last 10 years, things have really been changing. I mean, in terms of you used to perhaps grow up on a farm and that's how you learned how to farm and then you would go to, you know, 
know, a, an ag school, you know, a two-year, four-year program. And one thing that has really changed is farm apprenticeships and how those have really grown as one of the predominant ways that young people are learning about farming in the United States and learning um, how to run a farm business. Among our the farmers that we surveyed, actually 74% of them ranked apprenticeships as one of the most valuable programs for beginners. So that is something that I think is an important lesson for policymakers in particular, that we need to be doing more to support farmers that are hosting apprentices on their farm. A farm apprentice program is usually where, and sometimes it's run by a nonprofit, but um, more often than not, it's a farmer who is willing to take on, you know, one or two young people um, at her operation and train them in farming while they work at the farm. And that is an invaluable experience. My husband, who now entering his ninth season farming, he didn't go to any other training program except for an apprenticeship program in mm-hmm. Salvia Island Organics just outside of um, Portland, Oregon. So we need to be doing more to encourage farmers to have apprenticeship programs on their farm and to think about creative ways that we can incentivize them to, to you know, offer, to take on more apprentices and create more of these programs across the nation because they are so important for training all these young people that we desperately need to come back to the land and, and start farming businesses. Not to mention one of the other big challenges for young people that was identified by this report is the issue of student loans. You know, a traditional college education is extremely expensive, whereas an apprenticeship, sometimes it's just a trade for work. So it's a really affordable way to learn how to farm, and we need more of that happening across the U.S. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've heard from... My colleagues on the Midwestern Organic Sustainable Education Service Board that the farmer-to-farmer education is the most desirable, and it's good for everyone, and that farmers really prefer to learn from other farmers on the field, hands-on. So to provide opportunities for apprenticeships, as well as I'm sure liability insurance is an issue. We, you know, we start talking about all of the hidden costs that might be involved in that. So are the apprenticeships paid? Can the can the young farmer make some money while they're learning? Is the farmer himself paid or him, himself, I should say himself or herself paid to have the apprentices come to the land? You know, what are the financial layers that go along with those apprenticeship programs? Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, and, and it goes on. Housing is another concern for apprentices who are, you know, either live on the farm or, and if they don't, they have to find housing off farm, which is often, you know, beyond, beyond right. their means. But yes, there's definitely layers of thinking about liability, but also, you know, sometimes just um, legality of having an apprentice on your farm. There are questions, you know, it sort of a, falls into a gray area in many state labor laws, which is something that is. You know, some people are are trying to work on and and think about model programs right now. Out in Washington State, there are a couple of counties that are trying to figure out how they can make farm internships or apprenticeships a specific legal thing in their county's labor law to help more farmers feel comfortable doing 
farm apprenticeships. Well, Lindsay, I want to thank you very much for being my guest today. Our time is up, but I want to refer our listeners to youngfarmers.org. We have been speaking with Lindsay Shute. She is the director of the National Young Farmers Coalition, linked in with the National Sustainable Agriculture Coalition. So lots of news about policy, lots of news about how we can get involved, and to put precious young farmers on our wonderful, fertile farmland. So, Lindsay, thank you so much for being my guest today. Thanks so much, Melinda. Food Sleuth Radio is produced at KOPN Studios by Dan Hemmelgarn in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. Mm-hmm.